I'm going to start right away with discussion. Last week I gave you a tinker, and the tinker was to pray this uh, risky prayer, which is, who can I care for and how can I do it? And my question is, did any of you actually take me up on my uh, tinker, on my challenge? Did anyone do that? And if you did, how did it turn out? Oh, yeah. Um, like we have, and, and I have had the hardest class ever in 20 years. It's been so, so hard. And uh, we have seen in the past two weeks such incredible growth in students. I have had amazing things happen in my classroom. And kids, I just, I, I don't know. I can't tell all the stories because it would be too boring. But, like, it really is amazing. Like, we've been praying for these kids all year. And we're starting to see just so much fruit of growth and change and and it, it was really about us as teachers, like, how can I love you as an individual, you as an individual, you as an individual, not as a class, but just you as an individual, and just working with one kid at a time has been transformative. So, anyway, there we go. <laughs> transformative for them and for you. Yeah. 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 That's huge. Well, great potential for disaster means great potential for glory. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. I wasn't here either. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was in the hospital with my daughter. Yes, you were. <laughs> um, but, you know, we had intense pain, all the bad things you can imagine. But we both considered being there at the hospital a, a chance to minister to people. Mm -hmm. And um, you would be surprised how few nurses hear good things about themselves. Aww. And we had several nurses just break down and cry because I mean, they were wonderful people and they did such great things for Melanie and so selfless. And, um, and you know, we would say, I, I have like a list of names I'm going to put up for the Daisy Award because <laughs> they just were all so fantastic. But just kind words can mm -hmm. do so much. They can. And, and, and you're also talking about seeing people as people, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And just a service or something. Excellent. Well, I hope that if you weren't able or didn't find the courage to, to say this prayer last week, that you'll find it this week because you have two stories of glory that came through that. So today, we're going to talk about knowing the truth about ourselves. So in chapter 2, which was a while ago, here's what John wrote. He said, you have anointing from the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I did not write to you because you did not know the truth but rather because you do know it and perceived that no lie is from the truth. And you, the anointing that you took hold of from the Lord, remains in you. You do not need to have someone teaching you, but rather, as the Lord anoint, Lord's anointing teaches you concerning everything, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as the Lord taught you, you are remaining in the Lord. Now, you know, being a member of the teaching team and reading all that about not needing someone to teach you uh, can be a little jarring, but I, th <laughs> but I think what, what John is doing here is he's giving encouragement. He's saying, look, if you dig down deep, the Lord actually is there. Don't let other people rattle you about that. You have the Lord. The Lord is remaining in, in you. We are begotten of God. We do know the truth. The truth is in us. The anointing of God's Holy Spirit does remain in us. We don't need someone else teaching us these things in the sense that it's about who we are. We're changed. 
we're permanently changed. Nothing can unchange you and me who've put our faith in Jesus. What we need, and John knew this, and that's why he wrote it, is encouragement and reminders. We need that. So after exhorting his readers not to be like Brother Cain, but instead to love each other and care for each other, take care of each other, he circled back to encouragement. And now he's going to tackle the same thing that he's been tackling all along, a burning question in his readers' minds, and I think sometimes in our minds today too. How can we be sure that we're saved? Yeah. I'm wondering, how can we be sure? Yeah, okay. Simply because God is faithful to his promises. How, how do we know that? By looking back at what God's done for his people throughout history. Okay, that's, a, that's good. That works. Is there any other way that we know? Okay, go ahead, Mark. See, I would actually go the other way and say uh, we actually can't know for 100% sure. We just have to trust that it is true. That is a part of it. I mean, the Orthodox Church, which we all accept they're Christians, right? Orthodox Church? Yeah? Are we good there? Okay, good. Um, They talk about being saved daily. That it's a process happening in a, on a continuum. The Western church said, nah, we don't like that. That's not, that doesn't feel too solid for us. So we're not going to go with that. Um, and they had big fights about it and everything. We won't go into it. But, the, but that is what they talk about. It's process. All right. How, anybody else have some ideas on this question? It's a basic one. Is it, is it really intimidating? Yeah. Go ahead. I think for me, too, I mean, the knowing part in my heart is the personal experience of God and God working in my life. And sometimes it's in negative ways of discipline mm-hmm. um, as opposed to positive ways, but both of them are, are there. So I'm sensing God in my life gives me assurance. Yeah, and recognizing that that's what's happening. Yeah, God is at work. All right. Anybody else? All right, well, this is a question that John keeps going back to. And he's given four proofs so far. His first one is willing cooperation with the Holy Spirit. That's kind of what Dave was talking about. Next one is holding on to the teaching of the apostles. And actually, Kristen, you brought up the word. That's how we know about God's interaction with God's people. Consecrating ourselves in God's love. No longer a part of the world, but now being transformed into the heavenly. That was a big chunk of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, but it also comes up in the first part of this chapter, chapter 3. And then the fourth one, genuinely loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. Genuinely loving them. That's what he gives. Now he's going to have some more to say. He says, in this we will know that we are of the truth, and before the Lord our hearts will be persuaded. That is, if the heart would be condemning of us, for God is bigger than our hearts, and God knows everything. I'm, I must say, the first time I read that, I thought, well, that's kind of circular reasoning. It does, does, does that make sense to you guys? Like you guys are solid with that? That's the one I, I asked everybody to kind of think through. 
Well, I broke it down. Because even though I'm a cluster thinker, I live in a linear world. So here's what I started with. The believer is begotten of God. And we know what that means. That means that they've been born, born anew from above. All right? Begotten of God. So therefore, within the believer is the Spirit of God. That's what God puts within us. God's Holy Spirit. And then what comes after that? As I turn my page. The Spirit's anointing remains upon and within every believer. Now, why? Why can I say that logically? Because we're begotten of God. We're new creations. We have God's spirit. So that spirit's going to remain with us because that's, you know, that's who we are. The spirit of God knows what God knows. See where, I, see where we're going? So that spirit imparts to every believer the truth about salvation. So in our heart, the innermost being of us, the core of us, that deep center, that can become, we can become perturbed. We can become troubled sometimes. I became enormously troubled last week, and I had to see someone to help me with that. But when the believer draws close to God in that agitated state, deep is going to call to deep. Spirit, God's spirit calls to God's spirit within. God the begotten one. Remember, God has begotten us. We have God's spirit. So spirit calls to spirit. And then God is going to still that anxious state. It may take some time, that uncertainty, but God will do that because God is bigger than whatever has tipped our hearts off kilter. That's what John is saying. God is bigger. How big is your problem? God is bigger. Now, sometimes our problem looks huge, enormous, and God looks about this big, right? Sometimes people are like that. That's happened for me. You know, how big is the scary person? As big as the world. How big is God? I don't know. I, maybe this big. I'm not sure God has authority in this situation because they're pretty scary. Well, that's, that's what John is countering. He's saying, no, God is bigger than even that. Draw close to God. God will tell you the truth about you. God knows everything, and God knows about you and me, and God will impart that to us because we have God's Spirit. So I had to go through the whole thing. That took me a lot of years. Um, but what I came up with, finally, is that God's love is not conditional. It's not. We are permanently a part of God because we've been begotten of God. We have God's Spirit, and God's going to tell us that whenever we get nervous about it. And then he goes on to say some more things, a little bit rattling, I think. Beloved ones, if the heart no longer condemns us, we have confident intimacy with God. And whatsoever we would ask, we receive from God. For we observe God's laws and do the things pleasing to God. Now, in, my, in the olden times, when someone said something like that on the radio, then you would hear the sound of a needle scratching across what we called a record. And it made a particular sound that said, what? This is not making sense at all. Why is love talking about law? All right. It sounds like God, or like, like John is saying that we get back into God's good graces because we observe God's laws and do the things pleasing to God. That's sure what it sounds like. So hang on. Let's read some more. He's going to try and explain. And it is God's law so that we would believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And we would love one another just as God gave this law to us. 
And the one who is observing God's law is remaining in God and God in them. And in this we know that God is remaining in us from God's spirit whom God gave to us. I think we need to break that down. Because I think we need to talk about what the heck is he talking about law? What is that? Typically, we think, oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, there's more. I wanted to talk about what does he mean by law? I mean, this is, this is a big topic. It's been a big topic for 2,000 years. A lot of people have talked about it and written about it. And so I'm just curious. What do you think? What does he mean by law? Pardon me? Maybe. Maybe he's talking about the Ten Commandments. Um, I, I think on the other page before this one, it said, uh, like, in order to follow God's law, which is to believe in Je that Jesus Christ is the Son oh, of God. Oh, nice. Yeah. The law is about believing in a person, namely Jesus. All right? When you read Psalms, it um, almost glorifies the, the law repeatedly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that the, the law is good. It provides... Identifies a whole bunch of them depending on which psalms you read. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, even though your salvation is not reliant on the law, the law is a good thing, according to Psalms. So I don't know. Just yeah, you're on solid ground. Uh, Paul says the law is good. He says there's nothing wrong with the law. Law is good. Mari. I think John here is, is trying to refer back to his, his uh, earlier um, injunction, right, mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. that uh, we should wordy, love each other not with word or tongue, but indeed in truth. And the, I mean, the translation that I have uh, doesn't translate this word as law. It says commandment, mm. right? The things that God has commanded you to do. And the Greek word actually is, is talking about like, the end result. Right, like the commandment is like you. I want this result to occur, mm -hmm. and then uh, uh, the the results that God wants to occur is uh, believing in Jesus's name and loving one another. Mm -hmm. Right, nice, loving one another. That's another one. Yeah, I chose to translate tole as the law because often that's what they did in the Septuagint. So I figured, all right, fine, that's what they thought it meant. That's what I'll I'll go with that too. Um, but you're right; it means literally commandment. Okay, well. I think that uh, the law has two different meanings for us already. It could mean rule. We talked about that, the laws, um, which these are rules that have been imposed upon us by someone else, in this case, possibly God. But we all know what law means. We all live in a land where there are laws, and they've been imposed upon us. And maybe we said, no, we don't like that law, and everybody else said, no, we do, so you have to follow it. And then we can choose, can't we? Right? We can choose to not follow the law, risk punishment, or we can choose to follow it and hope for a reward. So that's one way of looking at law. Law means rule. Or, you know, for those of you who are involved in science, and I am sort of tangentially involved because I've got a lot of scientists in my family, um, there's another kind of law which is more like an explanation. It's an explanation of the way things are. So the law of gravity, for instance. Um, the law... Is, uh, of gravity isn't a rule that's been imposed 
it's more like an explanation of why human beings can stick to the earth as it hurtles through space. Little things can stick to big things. So it's not like we're choosing to obey that, although if I had a choice, I would, because it's just an explanation. But it's a law because it's followed, right? It's consistently followed. I mean, I've never seen anyone float, fly off the earth, so I think it's working. But then Jesus gave his own spin on law. And, Will, you came up with the first one. Nice. I'm going to give you three examples. The first one is believe. I did a little word search in John's Gospel, and I saw 84 uses of the word believe. Now, here's a fun statistic. 84 uses of the word believe. That's almost three times more than the word believe is used in all three of the other Gospels. So I think probably believing was an important concept for John. And this is right after Jesus feeds 5,000 people. I hope you can read that teeny tiny writing. After he feeds 5,000 people, then there's a big long discourse on what are you doing. And Jesus talks about, well, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which a lot of people were like, okay, we, we are not on board with that. But some people said, well, what do we have to do? Here's what they said. Uh, They said to him, he said, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, because he just fed all these people, which the Son of Man will give you, or Son of Humanity. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Well, they heard God the Father, and right away they they responded to their catechism, and they said, uh, What must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. So there's a principle there about the law. And it is, The law is not for works to perform. The law is not for works to perform, but rather for a person to believe. That's a principle about the law that Jesus is giving us. Not for works to perform, but rather for a person to believe. Well, there's another one. Jesus was approached by a man whose life seemed to clearly indicate that he had God's blessing. He was rich. He was a ruler. And in fact, he was a ruler of the synagogue. You couldn't find a more blessed person. And then Jesus, well, he comes to Jesus. He calls him teacher. They have a conversation about that. And um, the man says to Jesus, Jesus says, well, what's your, respon- what's your relationship with the law? And the man says, I, I mean, I think he was completely unself-aware. He says, well, I've been faultless in my observation of the law. But I'm sensing I need more. And uh, Jesus, I'm sure, was nodding his head. Yes, I think you do. I think you do need more. And he uh, told him to sell everything that he had and follow Jesus. Well, the text says he went away dismayed and sorrowful. So we get that, that he walked away. We get that he just never was going to do that. What Jesus said, it was like, no, not going to do that. Well, but here's the interesting thing. Because the people who were observing all this, they were also dismayed. In fact, they were a little bit horrified. These are Jesus' students. A little bit horrified by this. And uh, Jesus gives a famous saying, 
that people love to repeat about a camel going through the eye of a needle. But what's underneath that saying is even more interesting because Jesus said, for mortals, it is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. And we get another principle. God does not expect us to transform ourselves. It's actually impossible. We're not expected to do that. The law is embedded within a person as a divine work of transformation. How do we know it's in there? We have the Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We keep going back to that. The law is embedded within a person as a divine work of transformation. All right, here's a third example. Uh, not long after that, the Pharisees uh, were asking Jesus some questions, and they asked him, well, what are, what's the greatest commandment? What is it? And Jesus, this is very famous, Jesus says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, telos, law, hang all the commandments, all the law. Oh, and by the way, the prophets too, all of it. Well, we get another principle. The law embodies wholehearted love for God and for each other. So you're like, well, I mean, there's hundreds of laws in the Hebrew scriptures, hundreds of them. I mean, I'm sure we stumble across them all the time, but, you know, we're, we're okay because you can do a sacrifice for, law, for uh, laws transgressed in ignorance, which we don't do. But I'm just saying, even then they knew. There's a lot of them. But what Jesus is saying, if you love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love each other the way you love your own self, you're going to be all right. Well, you might, might make mistakes from time to time. It's impossible to be perfect without that divine work. But if you just do those two things, just do that. And that's actually what's on our website. If you just do that, you'll be all right. Just go back to that. So here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to move into communion, to our communion time. This is remembering what Jesus has done for us. It's also remembering what Jesus is teaching us. It's also acknowledging Jesus' spirit within us. And I'd like you to think about and talk about what God is saying to you through this text. There's the text there, and there's the three principles that we get from Jesus. I didn't make it up. That's from Jesus. The law is not for works to perform. The law is, for, is to enable us to believe in a person, Jesus. The law is embedded within a person as a divine work of transformation. That's what God's up to. God is transforming us. And we're going to lean into that, just as Dave was talking about. God's at work in Dave. We're going to lean into that. And, and the law, the law is about wholehearted love for God and wholehearted love for each other. That's the law.